0: During the COVID-19 pandemic, if there is one topic we heard a lot about, it was personal freedom. When stay-at-home orders were issued, when masks were mandated, when certain businesses were told they couldn't safely operate for the time being, people rebelled. They chafed. Especially in a place like the United States, where freedom is deeply ingrained in the public consciousness, we rebel against having our freedom clipped. And so governors and mayors who had to curtail that freedom for a season came in for stinging criticism, and sometimes even death threats. Well, freedom is a topic that comes up in the New Testament quite often too. And today from 1 Corinthians, we'll see what the Apostle Paul had to say about Christian freedom. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose.
0: And Daryl, this is now uh, episode number five of a planned seven part series. On Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We've covered about half the letter now. And so now we're going to turn to some material kind of near the middle of the letter in things that Paul wrote in chapters 9 and 10.
1: It's pretty clear that there was never a dull moment, Scott, in the church Mm -hmm. of Corinth. There were plenty of issues that they had to address, and Paul is just nailing them one by one.
0: Yep. We've uh, mentioned that scholars are almost universally in agreement Paul is replying to a letter the Corinthians sent him. And that letter was uh, studded with questions, controversy after controversy. Like you said, it's never a dull moment in Corinth. But now as we go into chapter 9, it seems less a controversy in Corinth, and more something that involved Paul personally.
1: So Paul was a missionary. Of course, we know this. And he would go from place to place, planting churches and raising up leaders. And so there would be these groups of people who would try to discredit his name whenever he left. I mean, he wasn't present there. It wasn't like he had a plane, he could fly back. So he had planted churches in these different places, and there were people who would go behind them and who would try to make it hard for the people to receive the message of the gospel.
0: Sometimes it was the message itself that got messed up. There was this group called the Judaizers who kept trying to undercut grace. That happened in Galatia, right, where the Galatians kind of, after Paul left, were told, no, 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 Jesus doesn't save you fully. You got to help, right? Other times, though, it was Paul himself that got criticized. And, you know, um, on Groundwork a while back there, we did a series on 2 Corinthians, and we noticed there that in a lot of that letter, Paul is in a defensive posture, defending himself against people who said that Paul was a charlatan, that he was just in it for the money or other, other nasty things. And that looks like what must have happened um, already when Paul was aware of this letter.
1: There were people who questioned his apostleship hmm. because, I mean, he wasn't there with Jesus when he was walking around on the earth. And so there were some people who had problems and questions with that. And it looks like in this verse that we're about to read that he addresses that. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I'm an apostle to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me.
0: So yeah, Daryl, it's pretty clear there. Paul is upset and he's defending himself. But this, actually, as Paul goes on, it's going to lead to a a wider discussion on the nature of Christian freedom. But maybe before we get to what Paul says about what it means to be free and how to use your freedom in Christ, maybe we should remind ourselves why this was sort of an issue in the early church in the first
1: place. Yeah. So we need a context to help understand why it's important. I know that in this current age and day, because we're in the United States, that Christian freedom is something we dig deep into as far of our identity and our psyche. But in order for us to understand the context of what Paul is getting to based on his background as a Jew first and then right. a Christian second, we need a little bit more context. Right. And
0: so one of the things that Paul had to deal with in particularly Jewish contexts was the fact that a lot of the rituals and ceremonies that were dictated by Israelite law, particularly restrictions on what kind of food you could eat, for kosher. instance, the kosher laws, right? All those food laws, all those uh, purity laws and so forth that were in Leviticus, right? That are all over the place. Those were the, the big theological word. It's not that big a word, but the theological word is those were abrogated in christ they were set aside but the danger was always that people then could kind of go too far in ignoring the law right i mean sort of say well you don't have to do that anymore now they think well i can do anything Uh, and that was a problem in jewish circles
1: so there were two different ditches scott one is that you followed the law far too closely and became a legalist, right. or you didn't follow the law at all, said, that's all out of there, so we can do whatever we want. And though the two imbalances there really were a part of the problem, and Paul's trying to give them a middle line of how to govern themselves according to the faith so that they don't confuse each other or hurt each other.
0: Right. And, you know, one of the um, earliest controversies in the church, and there were some pretty uh, significant arguments about this, that in Acts 15, they convened a whole council, sort of the first synod or general assembly of the yes. church led by James in Jerusalem, the controversy was if you're going to be a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. So Paul preached to the Gentiles. The Corinthians were Gentiles. They were not Jews. Right. And so they said, well, do you have to become a Jew first and then become a Christian? And the Jerusalem council said, no, you're saved by grace alone. You don't have to become a Jew first. We don't follow those laws. Circumcision is doesn't mean that anymore. The kosher food laws, all that is set aside. So again, for the Jews, they, like you said, Daryl, the one ditch, don't go too far and now just ignore everything and live it up however you want. For the Gentiles, who never had the law in the first place, Paul also had to say, you are free. You are free in Christ, but not totally free, right. um, because there's going to be a larger uh, principle involved here, which he's going to go on to talk about. But certainly, Paul would make clear, look, the Ten Commandments are still important, not in order to get saved. But because that's like the blueprint, uh, the owner's manual for creation. That's just the wise way to live. But there are other issues as well.
1: So in our Reformed accent, we would say because Christ perfectly fulfilled the law, we're grateful for what he's done. Out of that, we get to live according to the Ten Commandments. We have a guideline and a frame. The Gentiles needed some sort of framework. They mm. couldn't just be willy-nilly with this faith. They right. had to know that there were some guidelines that they could use. But when you got cultural practices coming in, this is where it gets confusing.
0: Right, because, I mean, Paul, in the previous program in this series, Darrell, we talked about food sacrifice to idols. And obviously one of the questions the Corinthians asked in their letter to Paul was— hey, you know, uh, some of the food in the market that we can buy, some of the fruit and vegetables and stuff, meat, uh, some of that had been, you know, dedicated to a false god. Can we buy that, take it home and eat it? And Paul said, of course. The idols are nothing. They mean nothing. So you you can eat whatever you want. But there were some of these cultural practices that were controversial. And some Christians really thought you shouldn't do certain things. And other Christians said, look, we can do that. But when that happens, when there's a controversy, when one believer is offended, then what? Does your freedom in Christ mean you don't care about the other person? Or is there more involved in going on here?
1: Well, in the next segment, we're going to hear more about what it means specifically to specifically talk about that subject. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit
0: FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships.
1: At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore
0: what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at
1: FamilyFire.com.
0: I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this program number five in a seven-part series. Uh, And Daryl, let's dig right back into 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We read some of the early verses earlier, but now let's ponder the following words from Paul. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some." And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings.
1: What's interesting to me about that verse, Scott, is that if you look at it at first glance, you could think that Paul is trying to be like a chameleon mm-hmm. who, uh, well, the blue team is telling me to be blue, so I'm going to be blue with them. And The red team is here now, so I'm going to be red now. And I don't think that's what Paul is getting at because it's not about him losing his identity or forsaking Jesus, but it is about him doing what is necessary in order to love and care for folks that they may be one to Christ.
0: Yep. You know, you could kind of say, oh boy, Paul's wishy washy. No, no spine, no backbone, <laughs> man. Stand up. But, right, uh, he's making it clear that he does that because the number, way more important than any personal freedom he might have, uh, which is kind of what we're talking about in this episode, more important than his being a servant being um, a servant to other people. He's not wishy-washy. And, of course, he wouldn't go along with just anything, right? If he was with people who denied Jesus as Lord, he wouldn't say, oh, I denied Jesus as no Lord. No way. No. He wouldn't sin. Um, but when it's not important, right, when, when it's just a matter of preference or practice or perspective, then Paul's going to have empathy with people. He'll, he'll, he'll relate to them at their own level so that the gospel has a chance to stick because nothing's more important to Paul than saving people uh, or having the Holy Spirit save uh, them through Paul.
1: That word that you just said there, Scott, empathy. I think it takes great empathy to do this. I think it also takes humility and consideration for your neighbor, which is, in essence, the how you love them in this Corinthian context, he's telling them you need to love your neighbor by maybe abstaining from something that you feel you're free to do. It's gonna be a personal inconvenience to you, but it's not gonna be that serious so that you could do that for your neighbor, right? <laughs> you could do that.
0: Exactly. And let's point out what may be fairly obvious here, This is what Jesus did. I mean, this is what Jesus did all through his ministry, but this is what Jesus did in becoming incarnate, in becoming a human being, right? Jesus had existed from all eternity as the Son of God. Right. Well, the Son of God can't get beat up, can't get cut and bleed, he can't die. But Jesus took on real flesh that could be cut and would bleed, that could be whipped and would bleed, that could die, and it did, right? His feelings could get hurt, uh, right? He became what we were, to meet us at our level so as to save us, right? And that's all Paul's saying here. He's not being wishy-washy or a people pleaser. He's having empathy and he's relating to people so that he can serve them as Jesus did.
1: He specifically says, Scott, in another one of his letters, Ephesians, to imitate Christ's example. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what he is doing. And I know he wasn't there for the foot washing, but the essence of the foot washing is here. He, Jesus himself, washed the feet of his Mm -hmm. disciples and became the servant. And he is showing everyone who follows him, whether they were present with him or not, this is how you serve one another. And that is the example that Paul is trying to set. Exactly.
0: But now let's uh, move on, Daryl, to the next chapter, to 1 Corinthians 10, because Paul's gonna tease this out a little bit more, this whole idea of being a servant and of relating to people where they are so as to have a chance to save them. And he's going to now in 1 Corinthians 10, starting at the 23rd verse, it looks like Paul is quoting something back to them. Again, we think he, got, he is responding to a letter. So now he's going to say, you wrote this, and here's what I think about that. So let's hear those words.
1: I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. All right. So this gets a little tricky. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah.
0: On the one hand, don't get hung up on all kinds of rules and what you can eat, what you can't eat. You're not walking a spiritual tightrope, Paul says. you know, We're, we're saved by grace. We have freedom. You're not going to get condemned by Jesus for something you eat. right? On the other hand, if your host says, I dedicated this to my God, you know, whatever. And if you get the sense that if I eat this, it's sort of be like I'm endorsing your religion, Allegiance. then don't do it, Paul says. Maybe have a conversation with them about why you don't want to eat it, or you're going to eat it, but you are not honoring his God uh, on account of it. But, you know, for the sake of the other person, you know, don't give the impression that maybe their God is as legitimate as Jesus. Don't do that then. Be smart about it.
1: I think too that if there's a situation where this person is informing you that the food is sacrificed to idols, now it becomes a witnessing opportunity, mm. a theological statement that you're making by not eating the meat. Exactly. But before that, if it's just meat offered to you and you give thanks to God because it, God owns the meat, right? It, and then idols aren't real, so you don't have to have that internal pressure that you need to carry. You don't need to carry it. Is what I'm saying.
0: Exactly. And so, yeah, I can get a little dicey, but the core idea is don't seek your own good. Seek ever and only the good of others. And I did like that with the passage you just read, right, where twice Paul says, I have the right to do anything. Clearly, somebody wrote him that. <laughs> he's, he's quoting, you know, sometimes our kids say that. I got rights. You know, I got the right to do anything. Yeah, you have a lot of freedom, but not everything's beneficial. Not everything's constructive. Yeah, you can do that, but you're going to hurt somebody else's feelings. You're going to offend somebody. You can't do that. Uh, that's not being Jesus-like, and that's the real principle here. Right? You know, somebody once said that uh, there's a whole lot more to being a Christian than being nice, but Christianity isn't less than that either. <laughs> exactly. Be considerate, right? That's the thing we say to our kids. Be considerate of others.
1: It's true. And, Scott, I was thinking about when you were saying that that our freedom is not designed to be a bulldozer, to right. push everybody else out of the way. Well, this is what I get to do. This is what I have the right to do and just totally have no regard for those who are around you. When we live our faith in community, we just can't do that. So we have to be more responsible. And that takes a mature step to defer and to deny yourself of some things that you think you have the right to have.
0: And, you know, even outside of a church context, Daryl, I mean, none of us really like inconsiderate people, right? So, okay, this guy is in his own driveway washing his own car, and he's playing his own radio, um, but he blasts the music so loud that it's waking up the baby next door. The whole neighborhood has to listen to his music. We don't really care for people like that. It's just being inconsiderate. Sure, he has the freedom to do what he wants in his own driveway, but come on. We don't like inconsiderate people outside of the church, but in the church. This gets magnified so much more because we're supposed to be like Jesus. And as we close out this program, we're going to think about some practical implications for all that. So stay tuned.
1: We're glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. And let's now go to the last words Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own
1: good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So Paul's basically giving us, Scott his bottom line of why he's doing this. Number one is for the glory of God. Mm. And he does it also for the benefit, the salvific benefit of the neighbor who needs the witnessing of Christ. So if he could say yes or no to meet at that moment or whatever he's doing, it may win this person to Christ or give him an opportunity to at least have a further conversation. We should be living that way as well. Exactly. As we said earlier, you know, uh, when we talked about somebody
0: as a people pleaser, it's never a complimentary way. And of course, Paul would be the first to admit that, of course, there's lots of activities he wouldn't go along with just to go along to get along. He wouldn't laugh at certain jokes just to help him fit in. Um, There are prudent limits here. But short of going along uh, with sinful behavior, keeping the needs of others in mind, uh, acting in ways that will serve them, benefit them, help them, that's just the second, what did Jesus say is the second great commandment, Love Love your your neighbor neighbor as yourself as yourself.
1: That's exactly what Paul is saying. And it's interesting that the Corinthians have to be reminded of this with all the things that are going on. The fact that they need to practice this way to be empathetic, to be compassionate and not worry about what is self-seeking. That is the best way to love your neighbor.
0: You know, we opened this program mentioning the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 and 2021 and how a lot of people rebelled against having their freedom curtailed, even for a season, for the sake of others. We'd like to be able to say that the church rose above all that, but unfortunately, many of us have experienced it personally or we've heard reports about where – Yeah, when, you know, the church council said we we can't meet in person or, you know, when we start meeting, you got to wear a mask in church. And some people didn't like that. Other people, you know, would take to Facebook and say, look, you wear a mask so you don't accidentally infect another person. This is love your neighbor as yourself. That's just very simple. And if it means that you have to give up your freedom, you say, well, I have rights, you know, I don't have to wear a mask. Well, maybe you do have to give that up for a season But this happens a lot in the
1: Christian life, not just related to COVID or the pandemic. I do know that I'd speak for myself in this case, Scott. There are some things that I would like to say to people that I know that I feel is honest to say, and I want to speak truth to them. But if I don't speak that truth in love... Mm If I don't speak it in a way that is tactful, that is winsome, then number one, I'm going to bulldoze them. Like I said, we shouldn't do earlier. And number two, you have lost your opportunity to win that person for Christ or show the example Christ gave. Because when you receive a word or a correction from someone, you want it to be a compassionate word. You want it to be a word filled with love. And if that doesn't happen, then they pretty much lost you as a hearer. And that person, if I'm speaking to them. I've lost them as a hero. Exactly.
0: Yeah, you're free. You got lots of things you can do. But in your freedom, be considerate. Be considerate of others. Make it your goal to serve others. And that means, you know, again, maybe I don't have any problem drinking a glass of wine or having a beer or a cocktail. But if I'm in the presence of a fellow believer who is offended by that, or maybe you know they've got a history of alcoholism in their family and that really bothers them, then I say, okay, I I know I have the freedom to drink this, but for your sake, on this occasion, I won't. I'm not going to do it for you. Because I don't want to, what does Paul say here? Don't be a stumbling block, a on in the Greek, a yes. scandal. Don't, Trip other people up, right? It's like sticking your foot out and purposely tripping somebody on the sidewalk. Don't do that. That's not what you're free to do in Christ.
1: I think it's important for us to know that when you bring up the like the drinking thing or something like that, is that if we're thinking about ourselves and we're self-seeking, then we'll think about how our freedom, what we have the right to do, and if we're not careful, it could move into a prideful place, right. like I'm stronger than this person, this person is weaker than me, so I'm going to be strong in this situation. It's not going to hurt me or affect me. That could be challenging when you're trying to fellowship with someone.
0: What you just said, sometimes it's not here per se, but in Romans and in other places of the New Testament, Paul refers to this as, you know, the strong and the weak, right? And if you're strong in the faith and you're mature and you you know that there are certain things you can do, but others who are maybe uh, earlier in their walk of discipleship or they're more easily offended, you know, Paul might call them the weak. But you become weak with the weak so that you don't, you don't offend them. Of course, the problem is none of us like to think we're weak, right? We, <laughs> we always think we're strong. I, I'm leaning into my convictions. And you don't want to condescend to somebody and say, well, listen, you know, I, uh, I know this offends you, dear, so I'm not going to—no, no, no. no. Uh, that's not being loving either. But think of other people first. Right? And if you know as a fact that such and such is going to bother them, trip them up, upset them, do the Jesus thing and become their servant and say, I'm going to put my freedom in my back pocket so I can love you and we
1: don't have to have this issue between us. So because – Freedom doesn't need to become the main thing. Mm. We need to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing is salvation in Jesus Christ. And since these are not salvation issues, we have room to talk. We have room to communicate and try to find some agreement. So that's why it's really tricky because you can't just have this is the rule, especially when you have case by case situations like Paul is addressing.
0: Paul, sometimes in the New Testament, refers to this through the Greek word adiaphora, which people have gone to seminary maybe remember. It's often translated as things indifferent. They're not salvation issues. This isn't denying Jesus as Lord or something. Um, these are just cultural issues, practices that differ, you know, community to community. But they're not a big enough deal to cause controversy. Just Leave it aside um, if it means maintaining the peace. And ironically, of course, when everybody does this, when I'm deferring to you and you're deferring to me and we're all deferring to each other, we get this lovely Christ-like dance going on of of, of mutual love. And you know what? That is when we look like the body of Christ.
1: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is the verse that actually comes to mind when you Mm -hmm. say that, Scott. Exactly. For the
0: sake of each other, we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we dig deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians and look at the issues Paul addresses in chapters 11 to 13. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork.
1: Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to engage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.